0: Today's first article is titled, Old Age is Like a Devonshire" by Faye Vincent. Then we'll follow that up with an article by Yusuf Khan, Canned Seafood Becomes a TikTok Star. Then an article by Robin Friedman, Are You Covered? And we'll follow that up with an article by James Haggerty, Start Saving Your Life Stories. All these articles are from the Wall Street Journal, so let's begin with today's first article old age is like a debenture. A friend and I both turned 85 this year. He says we are like 10-year debentures that might get called early. His life expectancy prediction may be generous as the actuarial number is closer to six years, but the uncertainty raises the challenge of how to approach the final years. Endings have meaning. It is important to know when and how to leave each stage of life. Macbeth laments, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player, that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale, told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Style makes some departures elegant. In baseball, sensible retirements by Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams, who had a home run in his final at bat, contrast with the sad attempts of Lily Mays and Yogi Berra to play after they knew their skills were no longer worthy. Leaving the stage at the right time demands self-awareness. I asked the diva soprano Beverly Sills how she knew when to retire, and she gave me this sensible answer. I knew that to continue would not be worthy of what my audience deserved. The wise thing for us old folks is to continue to self-audit our mental acuity and act in age-appropriate ways. For me, the best example is from my former headmaster, whose lifelong objective was counsel from Voltaire's Candide. It fraught cultivate Notre-Jardin. We must cultivate our garden. The garden may be tiny and perhaps hidden, but it is mine to make of it as I want. The key to contentment in old age is to define the aspects of life that remain within reach. The carary is to surrender those things that are just risky, silly, or just plain stupid. My wife is my personal gatekeeper, and there are doors that are firmly locked. In the ninth decade of life, death is a looming omnipresence. As a lawyer, I learned not to ignore planning ahead. But I also learned the futility of trying to influence matters too far into the future. It is appropriate to leave final instructions and requests, but vital to realize the future will demand future wisdom. Injunctions from the grave are never valid. One of the consolations of old age is the realization, as George Will has written, that one isn't going to die young. Not everyone receives the gift of being an avuncular old soul His voice is occasionally vibrant, and it was capable of sharing pleasure and wisdom, and even warmth and affection. Not all of us will avoid the grouch stage, and some of us may be self-centered and vain and impatient. Maybe we old-timers should increase the use of the words of thanks and apology and politeness. I will need to increase my patience with those who are no longer accept values I believe are important, like duty, honor, and country. And I still embrace faith, hope, and charity. But tending my own little garden might keep me from looking over the fence at what others are doing. And now the article, Canned Seafood Becomes a TikTok Star. Makers of canned tuna and sardines are taking their products upscale, riding a wave of online popularity. United States sales of canned seafood rose 9.7% to $2.7 billion in 2022, according to the data provider Euromonitor International, with industry executives crediting the rise to a surge in demand from younger shoppies seeking novel but still affordable foods. To capitalize on the trend, canned fish sellers are launching new products expanding production, and working with social media influencers. The cans now feature flavored olive oils, tomato sauces and spices, sport snazzy labels, and cost as much as $20. Matthew Scoletta, chief executive of Wildfish Cannery, says he has seen a noticeable increase of, in sales of canned fish, and the Alaska company is struggling to meet demand. Wildfish first saw sales jump in 2020, he said, and last year's its wholesale revenue doubled. Wildfish touts that its tin fish is harvested, smoked, and hand-packed in Alaska and sometimes includes flavorings such as sumac and dill. Its products carry a higher price tag than typical grocery store tuna varieties that sell for a couple of dollars. Before, we had a lot of explaining to do when people asked, why is this can $20, Mr. Scoletta said. Wildfish leased new production space and added equipment to keep up and now is in the early stages of planning a new cannery on Alaska's Prince of Wales Island, Mr. Scoletta said. Larger canned fish producers, such as Bumblebee Foods, LLC, are ramping up marketing efforts. The San Diego company last year launched a good-for-you advertising campaign targeting a younger audience to promote its higher-end cans and dispel perceptions that canned fish isn't versatile or fitting of foodie aspirations. It sells a protein-on-the-run line, which comes with crackers, a spoon, and a caramel treat. Tuna can do more than the standard tuna sandwich, said Jeremy Zazaval, Bumblebee's brand marketing director. It's possible to have a gourmet experience with a can of tuna. A big driver of interest, industry executives say, has been social media. A search on social media app TikTok shows to date more than 25 million views for videos tagged tagged, Tinfish, with users sharing their experiences with different cans and recommending certain brands. Allie Hook, a formal professional chef who now makes online food videos, posted her first Tin Fish Date Night video last year when stuck at home with little to eat. We just had some Tin Fish in the cabinet, and so we poured a really nice glass of wine and toasted some sourdough, she said. That was all we had but it was so fun and so enjoyable. Since then, she has posted more than a dozen such date night videos to guide couples looking to expand and experiment with new foods at home, featuring cans of sardines or mussels from different countries such as Denmark and France, used at, as the centerpiece of a charcuterie board. Canned fish producers say the online buzz has fueled sales. Scott Canning, based in Vancouver, said its revenues rose 82% to $4 million last year. To help boost its exposure, the company has worked with popular TikTok users such as Ms. Hook, who alone refers roughly 500 people a month to the site, the company said. Adam Bent, Scout's chief executive, said consumers were using artisan canned fish as a sort of cultural cachet to impress friends and family. It's the same kind of experience that you have with natural wine, Mr. Bent said. It's kind of that next cool food item. Scout said it plans to launch new product kits that pair its cans of yellowfin tuna with crunchy toppers including jalapeno and zaratar. It also started sourcing fish from Mexico alongside the United States and Canada to help meet demand. While the rise in demand has been a boom for producers, it has resulted in some supply problems for specialty retailers. Patrick Martinez, founder of Tinned Fish Market in the UK, started selling canned seafood four years ago in markets in Liverpool, Manchester, and London. He sources many of his products from small producers in Spain and Portugal, where canned fish has long been a popular cheap food option. Now, higher demand is leading to delays of up to five months, Mr. Martinez said, with so many products only made to order. This type of artisanal production can't be scaled up easily, he said. He also said suppliers had raised prices, but he had so far refrained from passing on the costs to avoid putting off new, younger customers. And now the article by Robin Friedman, Are You Covered? A look at some insurance coverage you may need and not even realize it. How much do you know about homeowners insurance? Do you have coverage you don't need or lack coverage you do? Even though many luxury homeowners have access to experts, attorneys, financial planners, insurance agents, risk managers, many are actually underinsured. Take flood insurance for example. A survey released in 2017 by the Insurance Information Institute and Industry Trade Group found that nearly half of all American homeowners mistakenly believe that their homeowner insurance policy will cover them against losses due to floods. It doesn't. That's just one of the myths surrounding insurance that even some of the most homeowners hold, said Loretta Waters, an institute vice president. While most standard homeowner policies do cover water damage resulting from burst pipes or an appliance leak, flooding, defined under the National Flood Insurance Program as excess water on land that is normally dry, affecting two or more acres of land or two or more properties, is covered only by a separate flood insurance policy. As individuals progress in their careers and build more wealth, An insurance review becomes more important, experts say. As their homes, valuable possessions, and personal wealth grow in value, the risk of loss increases, said Scott Teller, executive vice president underwriting for Chubb Personal Risk Services. That is why working with a professional insurance agent is so important, but so is staying in touch with that agent on a regular basis to update him or her On life and other changes that can affect your insurance needs. Here are five types of insurance coverage you may not realize you need. Number one, excess flood insurance. Even if you have a standard flood policy, it might not be sufficient to protect you. Policies purchased through the National Flood Insurance Program are capped at $250,000 for your home structure and $100,000 for contents. Ms. Werther said that policies with limits of $10 million or more are available through private insurers for those needing more protection. Spencer M. Howdlin, president of Erickson Insurance Advisors, recently wrote an excess flood policy for an elevated oceanfront home on Fire Island in New York. The policy provided coverage of $3.3 million on the dwelling and $900,000 for personal property. The cost? a year. Number two, jewelry and collectibles coverage. Whether your valuables consist of jewelry, fine art, or a wine collection, you you need valuable articles coverage to ensure their full value. A standard homeowner's insurance policy has limited coverage for these items, and in the case of loss, a deductible would likely apply. The average cost... $10 per $1,000 of coverage for jewelry, $2 per $1,000 for coverage for collectibles or art. Number three, workers' compensation. Workers' compensation insurance covers the medical expenses and lost wages of nannies, housekeepers, and other household employees who are injured or become ill on the job and is required by many states. It protects you as the employer from liability. The average annual cost, $750, based on a salary of $50,000. Number four, cyber insurance. Personal cyber protection may cover your losses arising from identity theft, hacking, cyber stalking, or harassment. If you accidentally click on a malicious link and your identity is stolen, cyber insurance may be available to replace any money that was stolen, And ensure that you have the financial and administrative resources you need to get your life and identity back, Mr. Teller said. The average annual cost? $250 for $100,000 of protection. Number five, an umbrella policy. High net worth individuals are often targets for lawsuits. An umbrella policy provides excess liability coverage to help protect you and your assets when the underlying limits of your home or auto policies aren't sufficient to cover the cost of a lawsuit or accident. Some policies include defense costs within the maximum covered amount, while private client insurance policies customized for high net worth families typically pay for defense costs over and above the policy limits. The average annual cost, $200 for $1 million in coverage in a household with two cars, $100 for every $1 million after that. If you're thinking about adding additional insurance coverage to protect your assets, here are some things to consider. Number one, title matters. Many high net worth individuals use trusts or limited liability companies to hold title to their homes. Mr. Howden said that homeowners often forget to add that entity as an additional insured on a homeowners policy. That means that if there is a lawsuit against the owner of the property for any reason, the entity and you, as the beneficial owner, might not be protected. There are numerous examples of suits being brought against trust or LLCs as owner of the property, for instance, incidents such as slip and falls and the claim not being covered, Mr. Howden said. Adding the entity does not increase the premium, that it, but it does require insurance company approval. Number two, know your home's replacement cost. The cost of construction material and labor has skyrocketed because of supply chain disruptions, so that means that the cost to rebuild your home may now exceed your policy limits. Those with policies intended for high net worth individuals are likely to be covered in most states for guaranteed replacement cost, no matter how much it costs to rebuild, but policies from mainstream companies may leave you hanging. They might give you the dwelling amount plus an additional 20 to 25% and then their responsibility ends, said Kenneth Sadowski, private group leader for the Horton Private Client Group in Orchard Park, Illinois. Read your policy to determine current limits and, if necessary, increase them to cover the full replacement cost of your home. And now the article by James Haggerty, Start saving your life stories. Write down the hows and whys of triumphs, failures, adventures to preserve them for the ages. Death steals everything except our stories, wrote the poet Jim Harrison. If we aren't careful, death can steal those too. When it comes to money and real estate, most of us make careful arrangements for what happens after we die. Why not take equal care of our stories, which can't be retrieved once lost? Think of the stories you've heard your partner or parents tell a thousand times. They are precious. When someone dies, we need those stories. Not in a vague, half-remembered, second-hand form, but in the original version, with all the plot twists, nuances, and personal storytelling quirks. Your own words and insights are more illuminating than others' eulogies and tributes. Preserve your stories now, while the memories are valid. The best stories show not just what you have done, but why and how. Starting points include how you got on a career path, what you are trying to do with your life and how it is working out, your biggest triumphs and failures, and what you have learned from them. Also worthwhile, the oddest, funniest, most wonderful and awful things that have happened to you. Putting things into words helps to organize them in your mind, says James W. Pennebaker, a psychology professor at the University of Texas at Austin. Every now and then, we all need to stand back and take stock and think, what am I doing, where am I going, and is this the life I want? You could write a memoir or your own obituary. I highly recommend it, but that isn't necessary. It is good enough to write a rough draft of your best stories or record them. One way to save a memory is to write a letter or an email to a friend and save a copy. Another is to annotate your favorite photos with the stories behind them. For those who need prompts, software such as StoryWorth or MemLife provides a template with questions and the option to create a book. For those who hate to write, voice recording works. Be sure to make a transcript, though, and add notes explaining anything that might be unclear to readers decades from now. Michael K. Riley, who died in 2021 at the age of 88, prospered in the coal industry but was never going to be famous. He didn't even have a Wikipedia page. Still, Mr. Riley believed his grandchildren might like to know a few things about his life. In retirement, he finally wrote down his memories. He called his booklet A Wonderful Life and had a printer run off dozens of copies for a few family members. The organization and graphics were amateurish, but Mr. Riley wasn't trying to dazzle anyone. As a teenager, Mr. Riley took his grandmother's car for a joyride one night, stole some gasoline, and ended up in jail briefly. A few years later, after Marilyn Lyman began dating him, she was shocked when he gave her up for penance during the Advent season. Somehow, the romance survived. They married in 1958. One of his sons, Mark Riley, cherishes the booklet partly for its lack of polish and pretense. It's a real story about a real life, he says. One caution, revealing too much about certain topics could hurt or offend loved ones. Life story writers need to think carefully about what to leave out. Mort Krim, a retired television news anchor, wondered how his children would react to a mention of long-past marital problems when he wrote his story a few years ago. He asked for their guidance, and they urged him to be frank. My advice is to admit mistakes without incriminating others. Devita Cody also told her story, and thank goodness for that because no one else could have done it nearly so well. Dr. Cody, who died in 2018 at the age of 80, was a physician trained at Columbia University and Harvard. She spent more than two decades shuttling from one human disaster to another, as she put it, providing medical care in Africa, Asia, and Central America. Meanwhile, her private life was turning into another kind of disaster. My pattern was to get drunk and get seduced. I'd sleep with a guy and then get attached to him, she wrote in her memoir, The Greatest Good. Finally, she faced up to her addiction to alcohol and sought help from Alcoholics Anonymous. Her last alcoholic drink, she wrote, was on October 30, 1989. If written by someone else after her death, Dr. Cody's life story might have noted in passing that during her travels, she met Henry Kissinger, Fidel Castro, and Mother Teresa. Because Dr. Cody wrote her own story, we know more. Mr. Kissinger mixed her a gin and tonic. Mother Teresa held her hand while they conversed. Mr. Castro kissed her on the cheek. His beard was surprisingly soft. Her first-person account is detailed and inspiring in ways no one else could match. For life-teller stories, there is a bonus. Writing or recording those stories often makes people feel better about themselves and might even improve their health according to some researchers, study the way people explain their experiences. Some people have little or no interest in the past, including their own. If you try telling your tale and find it brings only sorrow, there is no need to persist. Many of us, however, want to cheat death by leaving a mark, however faint. We tend to believe the proverb that people die twice. The first time when their heart stops beating... The second when someone speaks their name or thinks of them for the last time. It isn't just about you, though. Your stories could be the best gift you ever give to your friends and family. Even if no one reads or listens to your tale, you haven't wasted your time. Reviewing your life, what you're trying to do, why and how it is panning out, might give you the inspiration to mend some of your ways. It is not too late to improve the narrative. That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider and I'll be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.